We open once more to Matthew chapter 5. Tonight we'll read together just the first 12 verses, verses 1 through 12, the first section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you. The text we focus on is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you had but a few words or one short sentence with which to describe what a true Christian is, what words would you use? What would you say? Our text is the very few words that our Lord Jesus Christ chose to use to describe what a Christian is. What a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is striking. There are many, many things that we could pick, that we could choose to describe for someone what it means to be a Christian, to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus, what that looks like. And many of those things would be good answers, but here Jesus, as he begins his Sermon on the Mount, and as we looked at last week, the beginning of that sermon is Jesus' own description of the citizens of the kingdom what their character is, the very first thing Jesus has to say is, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what the citizens of the kingdom looks like. That's what the kingdom manifest in the life of a redeemed child of God looks like. It looks like a poverty of spirit. Here, Jesus, as he begins his great sermon on the kingdom of heaven, he begins with the people that make up that kingdom. Just as the church is not a building, but is the people, so too the kingdom of heaven ultimately consists of the people in whose hearts and over whose lives the gracious lordship of Jesus Christ reigns. And this is the character that that lordship of Christ produces in those that he has redeemed and over whom he rules. They become and show themselves to be more and more in their earthly walk poor in spirit. And Jesus says of them, blessed. And that's striking because Jesus here connects two things that 
by human reasoning and understanding, we would not connect of ourselves a poverty of some sort with a blessedness. Those two things seem to be far apart in our mind, but Jesus says, no, those who are truly blessed in the sight of God and blessed in my eyes are these, and these only, the poor in spirit, Because they belong to the kingdom of heaven, and indeed the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so tonight we're going to enter into this profound statement of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning our study of the Beatitudes, the essential characteristics of the Christian, and we're going to start with where Jesus starts. Our theme is, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're first going to look at a spiritual poverty. We want to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Then secondly, we will look at the unique blessedness that belongs exclusively to those who possess this spiritual poverty. And then finally, we will notice that this spiritual poverty is a chief characteristic of the redeemed child of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? In order to grasp the genuine sense of Jesus' words here in the text, we're first going to briefly clear away some mistaken notions about what spiritual poverty is. To be poor in spirit does not refer to being physically poor. That is, lacking the necessities of life, being wanting In earthly goods. Jesus says poor not in reference to one's earthly estate. But poor in reference to one's spirit. That is one's inner man and the things that pertain to the inner man. The idea of the text is that poverty of spirit is an attitude of the heart. Rather than a material condition in this world. And that's important. You can be poor in spirit whether you are physically poor or physically rich at this time. In fact, the providence of God and the way he leads his people, he brings both seasons of wealth and seasons of poverty. Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 14, I know how both to abound and to suffer need. And when in God's providence Paul abounded, his poverty of spirit didn't cease from him at that moment, but poverty of spirit is a spiritual frame of mind. It's an attitude of heart which the Christian is called to have in all of his earthly circumstances, whether you are poor or whether you are rich. There is no inherent virtue or vice in poverty or riches. What counts is how you handle the condition you are in. And Jesus says, My people are poor in spirit, whatever their earthly condition is. Both poverty, earthly poverty, and earthly riches each have their own snares. And that's why the inspired writer of Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food convenient for me. So, when Jesus speaks about being poor in spirit, he's not talking about being poor in an earthly sense. Though many who are spiritually poor, God's people are also physically poor in comparison to the wealthy and the powerful of the world. But also, being poor in spirit doesn't mean world flight. Renunciation of property, removing yourself from earthly relations and occupations. This was the mistake of the monks of the Middle Ages. Monasticism misinterprets this beatitude and thinks that there is a higher level of morality if I remove myself from everyday life and renounce poverty and or renounce riches and live in physical poverty but that's not the idea of the text for one thing there is no higher tier of morality that only some attain to that's not what Jesus is teaching here he's not saying there's a few super saints that are going to be poor but the rest of you Christians who still hold on to your possessions you're down here no this is the character that is to be found in every Christian And the real hard work of the Christian life is being poor in spirit in all of the everyday realities of our lives. In marriage, in the home, at school, at the workplace. Not withdrawing from the world, but being poor in spirit while 
in the world. Also, poverty of spirit does not mean poor spirituality. Jesus is not saying here, it's good, and I commend a lack of spiritual life, lukewarm devotion. The Sermon on the Mount is is a calling to the exact opposite of that. Being poor in spirit does not mean lacking courage, conviction, or commitment. It's not telling us to be a spiritual wet noodle or a spiritual doormat. The Bible so often says, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not in the Lord. Stand ye fast in one spirit, Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 27. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Being poor in spirit is not lacking conviction, commitment, or courage. And lastly, being poor in spirit is also not an unhealthy hatred or loathing of myself that leads to certain self-destructive behaviors. You see that same mistake in monasticism where the monks who thought highest virtue is attained by being physically poor, they also thought that the way to mortify the old man is to literally mortify your flesh. And that's a mistake too. Yes, the Bible calls us to hate our old man, that old self, our sinfulness, but not myself, as a new creature in Jesus Christ. In fact, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. And there in the second great commandment, Jesus expects that we are going to seek our own good. That's not wrong. We seek our own good, but we seek it in such a way that it is not at the neighbor's expense. And so we set aside those mistaken notions of what the text means, and now we're better able to zoom in on the genuine sense of Jesus' words. What is it to be poor in spirit? We already said it's an attitude of the heart. But now we flesh that out. It's a lowly attitude of heart. It's a contrite spirit. If you want to put it in one word, one familiar word, humility. That's what this spiritual poverty is. It is genuine, deep humility. Deep humility that grips me in my inner man. And now, here's the cause of that humility. Here's the source of it. This deep humility grips me in my inner man as I, by faith, see God. See Him for who He is. And see myself for who I am. That's where genuine humility comes from. Genuine humility comes from a clear perception of who God is and who I am in relationship to Him. Looking at myself now in light of who God is, that brings me to a proper lowliness of heart. Spiritual poverty. What Jesus calls poor in spirit, a vivid description of genuine humility... This is language that we find throughout Scripture. And we can understand Jesus' words by looking at a few other passages of Scripture. So I'll just call your attention to a few more that help us understand what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus speaks about being poor in spirit, He's speaking about the same thing that we read about in Psalm 34, verse 18, where we read, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That's spiritual poverty. Or the familiar words of Psalm 51 verse 17, where David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah 57 verse 17, where God says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. These verses 
portray spiritual poverty in the believer as a deep humility before God that springs from accurate spiritual knowledge of God and therefore an accurate spiritual knowledge of oneself gained from the Word of God. The proud man is a blind man. Pride can't see clearly. It never does. Pride always has an inflated view of self and is blind to who God really is and the proud man refuses to really see himself in light of who God is. Poverty of spirit is the exact opposite. It's a lowliness of heart, deep humility, an awareness of my utter spiritual neediness. I see myself for who I really am. I see the lowliness of my creaturely frame and my deep-seated sinfulness. And this is coupled then with the clear knowledge of God, His glory, His majesty, His supreme worth, not only as the Creator, but also as the Holy One, the righteous Judge, the God who is good and deserving of all glory. These Old Testament verses that I read a moment ago also emphasize that there is no attitude of the human heart that is more pleasing and delightful in God's eyes. And that makes sense. Because humility, a poverty of spirit, is the opposite of sin. It's the opposite of the attitude of the sinful heart. Go back to Eden, where the devil tempted our first parents. And our first parents' hearts were lifted up in pride. They stopped seeing God for who He really was. They stopped seeing themselves for who they really are. They stopped looking at themselves in light of who God was. And they were lifted up. I will be like God. And sin came into the world. And man fell. Humility is a recognition. Before God, I am nothing. I have nothing. He is all. And that is pleasing in the sight of God. Deep, heartfelt humility before His Most High Majesty. A broken, a contrite spirit. The Bible says God draws nigh and dwells with such persons. And thus it's no surprise that Jesus here says, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because it is the poor in spirit that find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so to be poor in spirit means profoundly recognizing that I am destitute of all good in myself. I am lost. I am helpless. I am powerless of myself. I recognize my sinfulness and that breaks my heart and I bow before God with contrition. My my self-justification, my excuses are silenced. My pride empties out of me. My self-importance melts away. The awareness of my spiritual poverty properly brings me low into the dust before God. And I confess, I am nothing, thou art everything. Being poor in spirit means acknowledging my helplessness and my powerlessness to remedy my own spiritual state. I'm powerless to rescue myself as a creature and as a sinner besides. I have no spiritual resources, no spiritual capital with which to ransom my soul, with which to earn God's favor, with which to undo the depravity of my nature, with which to pay for my sins or deliver myself from death or secure for myself the hope of life eternal. Of myself, I'm spiritually bankrupt. And thus... I am poor and needy, as we sang in each of the Psalter numbers this evening. Poor and needy, empty of myself, and I can do nothing but from this lowly posture of humility, look up. Look up. And with these hands, which are empty, which have nothing of mine to give, look up and simply reach out with the empty and expectant hand of faith to the one good God that I might receive from Him all that I truly need. That's poverty of spirit. As I look up from the posture of humility and reach out to the empty hand of faith, 
The farthest thing from my mind is relying on myself. The farthest thing from my mind is doing something to earn something from God. It is a posture of emptiness, yet faith's expectancy looking to the fullness of God that comes to me by grace. With the beggar's open hand reaching to receive the manifold blessings of God, His forgiveness, His justification, His sanctification, His strengthening, His preservation, all. And so you see, poverty of spirit is a lowliness before God, but it's not a pity party. It's not despair, but there is in this poverty of spirit a perfect marriage of humility and confidence. Humility with respect to myself, but complete confidence with respect to God. Because this humility has sprung from the true knowledge of God. And knowing God, I know His character. That He is so good. That He is gracious. That He is merciful. And so when I extend my beggar's hand, I do so with the confidence that He will fill it. And He will fill me. And so I look nowhere else. But Him. But Him. That's being poor in spirit. That's the grace-wrought character trait of the true Christian, of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus emphasizes here. This is what my people are like. Poor in spirit. Humble. And it's a character trait that's not natural to any of us. Nobody is born with this poverty of spirit. We are only reborn with it. It is a trait that comes from regenerating grace. It's grace wrought. It itself is a gift of the saving God. So having identified what this poverty of spirit is, let's wrap up the first point by making some direct applications. And here, what we want to do is answer the question, how do I live this out? And remember, when we're looking at the Beatitudes, we're first of all looking at Jesus' description of Christian character. A moment ago, it was emphasized, this is a grace-wrought character trait. The idea of all of the Beatitudes is not do this to become a Christian. That's impossible. But the the idea of the Beatitudes is this is the character of the blessed citizens of the kingdom of God. Those who have been rescued from darkness. Who have been redeemed by grace. And who are being transformed under the gracious lordship of King Jesus. And now as we live out of Christ and in Christ and unto Christ. This is the character that should more and more show itself in our lives. Poorness of spirit. And so it's of grace. and Out of grace. And yet in this description of Christian character there is that implied calling. Practice, my people. Practice. Put into practice spiritual poverty. How? So many ways, but we're going to briefly look in three directions. The practice of spiritual poverty towards myself, towards God, and towards those around me. Starting with myself. Humility, an essential ingredient of true humility, is a humble, lowly attitude towards myself. Again, that's not self-hatred. That's not despising myself. The the citizen of the kingdom of heaven properly values himself or herself as a beloved son or daughter of the king. We rejoice in our new identity in Christ. The poor in spirit, in fact, rejoice in this grace-wrought character trait in them. When the poor in spirit, in their emptiness, reach up to God to be filled with his blessings, there is an expectancy there, but there is also a joyfulness there in that As a child looking to my heavenly father. I look unto him as an act of love. And he gives unto me as his act of love. 
a lowly attitude about ourselves. Spiritual poverty is not self-hatred. In fact, the only genuine and strong self-esteem that there is grows out of being poor in spirit. For this reason, to have good self-esteem, people look for something to ground their self-worth upon. But if you are not poor in spirit, you are going to be looking in all the wrong places. You're going to ground your self-worth in something else in you. You're going to ground it upon your wealth. You're going to ground it upon a skill that you have. Something that cannot bear the load you place upon it. Genuine self-worth arises from poverty of spirit. Where I turn away from what I am in myself and I look upon myself this way. I'm connected to God who redeemed me by his son and now I have a new identity in Christ. And that's where I find my worth. The poor in spirit are humble with regards to themselves as Romans 12 verse 3 says, For I say, though the grace, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And that sober thinking takes us back to how we defined poverty of spirit. It's going through life, always seeing myself as I truly am, in light of who God is. As he reveals himself in his word. That's a major way that the Bible, the word of God, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Bible reveals God and in the light of who God is, we can at last see ourselves for who we truly are. And that shapes our life. The humble then, the poor in spirit, have a proper self-assessment. They're self-abasing, they're self-giving, not self-assertive, not self-absorbed. There's a readiness in the poor in spirit to face their own faults, to confess their own sins. They don't need to make pretenses, they don't have to justify themselves. They don't have to make themselves out to be better than they are, because they know they're not. It produces a willingness to suffer for Christ's sake, to bear crosses for Him. And this spiritual poverty, again, is not a weakness, but it is in fact the greatest inner strength. And so, spiritual poverty manifests itself first in how I regard myself. Secondly, it manifests itself towards God. It's an attitude towards God. Being poor in spirit is not a cringing fear before God, but rather it is conscious, wholehearted dependence. Only the poor in spirit pray from the heart and really mean it, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's why Jesus is going to get to the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, later in the Sermon on the Mount, but he first has to lay the foundations. The only way that we truly pray those things and truly mean them and truly look to God for the provision of all of our needs is if we start here With poverty, spirit, a sense, conscious sense of my utter dependence upon God. Daily reaching out with that empty hand of faith for God to fill me with his goodness. And so we see that being poor in spirit is one of the deepest expressions of genuine faith. Poorness in spirit is looking away from self and resting and relying upon God. Poorness in spirit is one of the deepest expressions of repentance. The poor in spirit have turned away from self, turned away from human power, turned away from everything, and have riveted their eyes upon God to provide. Indeed, you can even say, as one old writer said, that In the first beatitude, we find one of the Bible's most beautiful expressions of justification by faith alone. The poor in spirit say, Not of works of righteousness I have done, but all that I am I owe to thee. All my righteousness of thee. I don't look to myself, but I look to thee. To my Savior Jesus Christ. 
and the poor in spirit live in that consciousness and thus have peace. The poor in spirit look to depend on God alone and entirely. And now when that's the attitude of our hearts, a lowly view of self, an exalted view of God, that leads and to and produces a charitable attitude and a lowly bearing conduct towards my neighbors, my brothers, and my sisters. As Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 3, and this exhibits the spirit of Poorness of spirit. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The attitude of the truly poor in spirit as he lives among other people, as he goes in and out among God's people, as he interacts with his neighbor, is not, I am superior I am up here, and for whatever reason, they are a notch, or a couple notches, or many notches beneath me. No. The poor in spirit say to themselves, it doesn't matter what gifts I have. It doesn't matter what knowledge I have. It doesn't matter how great my faith is. It doesn't matter my skills, my family, my race, my education, my achievements. These things mean nothing when it comes To my standing before God or other people. In fact, I am just as involved in the common misery of man as the next guy. And everything good that I have is not of me. I readily confess that I am wanting of all good in and of myself. But all that I have that is good is but a gift from God. Far be it from me to lift myself up over my neighbor because I'm right down there with them. The poor in spirit lives that way. And thus the poor in spirit will not view himself as entitled. The entitled man is puffed up in pride and thinks everybody or certain people owe him things. The entitled man thinks that he has uber rights that trump other people's rights. And therefore he has a right to be angry or to lash out when others do not give him what he wants. And that is antithetical. To poverty of spirit. The poor in spirit rather has a servant's heart. Seeing that I am down here with the rest of my brothers and sisters. I do not consider it beneath me to wash their feet. To stoop and get on my hands and knees for them. Poverty of spirit then breeds compassion. It begets a servant's heart. It begets forgiving spirit the poor in spirit sincerely repent when they wrong their neighbor in fact here's an answer you can give to the question what does true repentance really look like in a person one way you could answer that question is when the beatitudes shine brightly in their life That's repentance, beginning with poverty of spirit. And so, beloved, let us be more and more those who exhibit this characteristic of the citizen of the kingdom. Let us be the poor in spirit at home with our spouse, with our children, at work, by the way, individually, collectively as a congregation, ecclesiastically as a denomination, for the characteristics that characterize us as individuals in the church ought to characterize the church as a whole. And this is what Jesus starts with. Poor in spirit. Humble before God and man. How can we do this? Grace is the short answer. Grace in Jesus Christ. That's where this character trait comes from. Once again, it's not something we're born with. It's not something we can manufacture ourselves. There's only one place that 
poorness of spirit comes from, and that's the workshop of divine grace. And that's how we can. In one way, the Sermon on the Mount here lays us low because we see the high standard of the Christian life and we see how far short we fall. And that's good for us because that helps us stay poor in spirit. It reminds us again of our own native emptiness so that we look to God. We look to God to provide us the very grace to be poor in spirit. But here is also our confidence of grace. Not of me. The grace of God that took hold of me and saved me. The grace of God that redeems me. The grace of God that's imparted to me through the operation of the Spirit. The grace of God that fashions this characteristic in me. That's the same grace that will empower me to live it out. And the power of grace is never a power that lets us sit idle. But it is a power that energizes us to be active. And so, beloved, seeing what you are, seeing what you are, that's what this beatitude does. And it's beautiful. It says, Christians, this is who you are. Rejoice in it. Give glory to God for it. He made you into this. Now, because He has, go be what you have been remade to be. And throw yourself into it. And when you stumble and fall, remember that Jesus Christ himself is the one that this sermon ultimately points to. Jesus Christ himself is the perfectly poor in spirit for you and me. Though he is high, and had every right to stay high, the Son of God, the Son of all glory, he came down and emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, trod among us that horrible pathway all the way to the cross. There is the greatest self-emptying. There is the greatest self-humiliation. There is perfect poverty of spirit. You see it in Jesus. And his poverty of spirit accomplished your salvation. His poverty of spirit is imputed to you in justification so that as God wipes away your sins, He sees you as righteous in His sight. And as He looks upon you, He sees Christ. Even as He is refashioning you into Christ's image. And you are yet an imperfect image of Jesus Christ. And yet as God looks at you and He measures you before the standard of His law, He sees you in Christ, the perfectly poor in spirit. How beautifully true are the words of 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. For the struggling saint tonight. Perhaps struggling with sin. Struggling with hardship. The fact that Jesus is the supremely poor in spirit is an encouragement to you. This is where Jesus starts this characteristic. And he has it perfectly. So when you think of Jesus, this should be something that leaps to the forefront of your mind. This is who your Savior is to you. When you come to him in all of your needs. As our Savior Himself says at the end of Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He will not turn you away. And thus it should be entirely clear how the poor in spirit have a unique, totally unique blessedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. Blessed. 
And there is so much packed into that word. In fact, that's why it's the very first word of the very first beatitude, the very first word of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you people of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're blessed because you have been given this blessing, this character trait fashioned in you by grace. And you are blessed because of what God has prepared for the people that he makes poor in spirit before him. Blessed. What is that unique blessedness of the poor in spirit? Of what does it consist? Let's look at that a moment. We start by looking at that word blessed itself. The word blessing here means well favored or well spoken of. Happy. Truly happy. And there's a connection between those ideas. The happiness springs from the fact that you are well spoken of. By the God. To whom you look for all good. Jesus, in the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, he draws from the language of Scripture and he begins this sermon like a psalm. Remember how the book of Psalms begins? Children, Psalm 1, verse 1. We know it well because we sing Psalter number 1. What's the first word? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And that recurs throughout the Psalms. Think of David's exclamation in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. And Jesus brings together here all of those blessed exclamations of the Scriptures, and He brings them all together in one, and He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed of God. Blessed by God. Bestowed with the word of his favor. That's what God's blessing is. It's the opposite of his curse. God's curse is his judgment word. His death bringing word. His just word of wrath that executes the penalty of the law against the sinner. God's blessing is the opposite of that. It's His word of favor, His word of love, His saving word that He speaks over those whose sins are covered by the blood shed by the supremely poor in spirit Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, these, the poor in spirit, are blessed of God. His word of favor abides upon them. Indeed, it is His blessing and grace that has worked this spiritual poverty in them. And that's where happy enters the equation. The word blessed means happy. Those upon whom God's favor rests are truly happy and joyful. Happy in the most exalted sense of the word. For they have the favor of God. And that's what fills The big hole in all of our hearts. That's what truly satisfies the soul. That's what banishes fear. And gives us safety and security in time and for eternity. Knowing I have the unchanging saving favor of God. Which as the psalmist says in Psalm 63. Is better than life itself. Blessed. Are the poor in spirit. God delights in them. They are his people. Their poorness in spirit. Is precious in his sight. He dwells and draws nigh. To those who are. Of a humble and a contrite spirit. It is the fruit of his grace in them. That is so very pleasing to his eyes. And what a word of comfort. That comes to us people of God. That poverty of spirit that you have, it's not perfect. We don't rest our hope upon it, of course. But as you see that evidence of God's grace in you, what joy there is. As I, by faith, 
from that posture of humility, reach out confidently to God. This word of blessing comes to me and it is for me. God, through Jesus Christ, says to the poor in spirit, you are blessed. Regardless of what your earthly circumstances may be, whether you are in poverty, whether you are oppressed, whether you are going through great afflictions, whether this life is miserable right now, you are blessed with the greatest blessedness. You have the favor of God. And now to be more specific, Jesus states precisely the content of that blessing, the great good that God gives to the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their blessedness is this. They possess the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is for them. Remember last week in our introductory sermon we defined the kingdom of heaven. Especially according to its main idea. That is the gracious lordship of Christ In the heart of the child of God and over his life. That's really what the kingdom is. And the kingdom manifests itself wherever the lordship of Christ extends. But now there's another dimension to the biblical idea of the kingdom. Underneath the gracious lordship of Christ. There is a multitude of benefits and blessings for the citizens of the kingdom. A good king who rules over his people. Brings good to his people. And Jesus is the best and the greatest king. And so here. The sense of the word kingdom. It's especially referring to the riches of the kingdom. The spoils of the victory of King Jesus. As he has saved his people from sin and death. Crushed the head of the serpent. Conquered triumphantly. The spoils of Christ's victory, all of the riches of the kingdom, that's what belongs to the poor in spirit. Empty of themselves, not relying upon themselves, forsaking all working to earn with God. They reach out from their position of humility with the expectant hand of faith. And what does the all-gracious God give to the poor in spirit? All the riches of his everlasting kingdom. To use the words of Ephesians 3.18. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The kingdom in all its fullness. The totality of all salvation blessings. The imperishable inheritance that fadeth not. Away. And Jesus' words ring with certainty. Theirs is the kingdom. Theirs. And theirs alone. It is not a kingdom that the proud will inherit. It is not a kingdom that the impenitent sinner and the unconverted will inherit. It is a kingdom that is theirs. And there is the unique blessedness of the poor in spirit. They alone are gifted with this kingdom and its riches. They alone possess the greatest blessedness. Now, to be clear, we understand This does not make poverty in spirit a condition. Absolutely not. Because we remember the broad context of the Beatitudes. We're talking about a spiritual characteristic wrought by grace. And this is how it works. All whom God chooses to be heirs of his kingdom... His grace turns them into kingdom citizens. His grace works the character traits of the kingdom in them. The Bible says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the lowly. Jesus here says, the proud will not inherit the kingdom. The poor in spirit, theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom. Not because they've made themselves poor in spirit. 
but the God who wills to give them the kingdom. That God makes them poor in spirit and bestows upon them the blessings of the kingdom. It's how God works. As he operates savingly in the life of a Christian, he brings that Christian to faith, brings that Christian to humility, and puts that Christian there in the posture of humility, which gives the Christian the capacity to appreciate the blessings of the kingdom. The proud man has no need of the blessings of the kingdom, so he thinks. He's not interested in it. He's busy pursuing his own riches. He's busy pursuing himself. But God, by grace, makes us spiritually poor. He awakens us to our deep need so that we look to Him. And this is how He glorifies Himself. When He lifts our heads to look to Him and to reach out with that empty hand, it is then that He delights to fill that empty hand. So that we all the more appreciate the bounty of his goodness and the glory of his grace. You can only appreciate it to that degree when you are poor in spirit. Only the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom because that's the way God wants it. And all whom God is pleased to save, every single one of his elect children, he works this character in them. What blessedness. And now lastly, in the second point, let us notice the comforting truth that Jesus declares that this unique blessedness belonging to the poor in spirit is a blessedness we don't have to wait for. Though, we wait for it with earnestness. We don't have to wait for it in this sense. We have it now. The tenses of Jesus' verbs are important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed shall be the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus pronounces a present blessedness upon his people. His words are both descriptive and causative. Here he describes what we are by grace. And here he also pronounces his benediction upon us. And here is part of the power of God's word. Even as we hear this wonderful gospel word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive it by faith. And the spirit applies it to our hearts. Do we not feel even now a sense of that kingdom joy? That blessedness that we have in Christ? We have it now. Because the kingdom Though it is coming, and though we pray thy kingdom come, the kingdom has come. It's come in our hearts. The lordship of Jesus Christ is here, situated in me. That lordship extends over my life. That lordship is seen in the church of Jesus Christ. The kingdom has come, in principle. And the fullness is contained in that principle, just like the tree is contained in the acorn. But now the seed grows. That's what God is doing throughout the New Testament age as the kingdom which has come continues to come. That principle is growing. The church is growing as God's people are gathered. We are growing spiritually as Christ the Lord continues to work in us to shape us into his image. More and more the kingdom is coming in us. And the blessedness that we taste now We experience more and more in our Christian lives. And we look forward to the full realization of the kingdom on the day of Christ. We don't have to wait for the kingdom we have it now, but we are eagerly waiting for its fullness. Embedded in Jesus' present declaration, blessed are, Embedded in that declaration is the promise. Blessed they forever shall be. The blessedness we have now in Christ is a deposit and earnest of the glory that will be revealed in us which eye hath not seen nor ear heard 
nor hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive. And so we see the poor in spirit, and here's the paradox of the first beatitude, the poor in spirit are in fact the only ones in the world who are truly happy. Truly happy with a unique happiness grounded in Jesus Christ. Happiness, the happiness of possessing that which is of supreme and ultimate value. Possessing that which shall never fade or go away. Happiness that comes when we contemplate what's in store for us. So that even amidst our afflictions, which by our standards are heavy, yet we can say with the Apostle, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Happiness as we rely upon our God who supplies all our needs, knowing that He works all things for our good, that all things come from His fatherly hand, and that nothing can ever pluck me from that fatherly hand. And when He works in ways that are mysterious and beyond my understanding, I know He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. The first beatitude is paradoxical in the sense that it overturns human reason and expectation. To man, nothing sounds worse than being poor. The poor are not happy, but Jesus says the poor in spirit are in fact the only ones who are truly happy. So beloved, Let this beatitude spur us on in the proper and biblical pursuit of happiness. Where do we look for it? Where do we find it? In what is it grounded? Let us say with Paul in Philippians 3.8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Well, one last important thing to see in regard to the first beatitude. We've alluded to it already, but let's focus on it a moment. This one is first. And that highlights for us that Jesus intends us to see spiritual poverty as the chief spiritual characteristic of the citizen of the kingdom. Jesus put this beatitude first on purpose, just like he put the beatitudes first on purpose. The beatitudes are the foundation for the whole Sermon on the Mount, teaching us that grace-wrought Christian character comes first, and from it flows the conduct of a Christian. And now by placing this beatitude at the forefront, the very opening line of the first point of Jesus' sermon, Jesus is teaching us, Poverty of spirit is in fact the foundation of all of the rest of the Beatitudes. So much so that this is the first thing. This is the first thing of Christian character. Humility. Think about it. How can you exhibit the other Beatitudes without spiritual poverty? Jesus says, blessed are, the mo- are, the, are they that mourn. Only the poor in spirit are going to mourn truly over their sins. Blessed are the meek. Only the poor in spirit will be meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. The proud don't hunger and thirst after righteousness. The poor in spirit do. Blessed are the pure in heart. Who are pure in heart but those who are poor in spirit? Blessed are the peacemakers, the proud. They're not seeking peace. They're busy in strife and vainglory. It is the poor in spirit that seek peace. And so forth. The chief characteristic. And so the concluding application is this. Beloved, is Jesus' chief characteristic of Christian character the thing you prize most? Is it our priority, individually, collectively, ecclesiastically, to exhibit poverty of spirit, humility, 
Is this our vision of what it is to be a Christian? Humility before God and man. Is this what we emphasize the way Jesus emphasizes it? Or do we have a tendency to prioritize and emphasize other things above this? When we teach our children to be Christians, what do we focus on? There are so many things we can focus on, but do we stress these fundamental characteristics of Christian character and do we give the proper stress to the leading one, the first thing? Humility. There are so many callings throughout Scripture that we are called to heed. but We must see that before we go to those callings of the Christian life to live antithetically, To defend and fight for the truth. To stand fast in a wicked age. Before we can get to any of those callings, we have to have the Christian character described here in the Beatitudes. Character comes before conduct. And without the Beatitudes and the character revealed herein, we will not be able to properly carry out the callings of the Christian life. And so Jesus' Sermon on the Mount comes with a powerful message to us. This is what a kingdom citizen, a Christian, looks like. This is what we ought to emphasize. And this is what we ought to seek. And this is what we ought to strive for. And when by God's grace we have this character we will be better able to heed all of those callings of Scripture to live an antithetical life, to defend the truth, to fight the good fight of faith, to run the race. May God grant that we prioritize what Christ prioritizes. And rejoice in this first and fundamental of His Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this deep wisdom and instruction of our Lord and Savior. Continue to work in our hearts by grace. Fashion us in Christ's image that we may exhibit this character. Make us a people who are poor in spirit and who live and walk And practice that spiritual poverty. And this for thy glory. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen.